Today on the show, you get to meet my dear friend, Rachel Turner, who is an amazing licensed counselor here in Phoenix. And we are going to talk about everything from how she got into counseling to what is EMDR and IFS and what are all these parts that all of us have and how do they play a role in how we show up and is there a way that we can help maybe bring like our higher selves to the forefront instead as well as one thing that I love talking about and I loved having this conversation with her around was we all hear of the fight or flight response but what are fawn and freeze which are also very prevalent what's our window of tolerance there is so much gold in this episode and I cannot wait for you to listen to all of it And then real quick, before we dive in, I want to say I do have one spot open right now for a 180 session. So if you are a go-getter female who's always been go, 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 hustle hard, and you know that you want more in life, you want to find some of that elusive balance that you hear talking about, and you've been struggling to do it on your own, and maybe you've struggled to even find clarity on like what the next steps are, I got you. Check out the links in the show notes for my 180s book a call with me let's chat and see if we're a good fit and if that session is the one for you i would love to work with you all right now let's dive on in Human on the Daily, the podcast for anyone wanting to break free of any boxes or expectations and embrace their full authentic self. I am Dr. Megan Daly, and I have been there. I've overcome so much trauma, dealt with so many stressors like competing in high-level athletics, rigorous academics, getting my doctor in physical therapy, and I did what I should do, right? I climbed the corporate healthcare ladder. And when that didn't make me feel fulfilled, I branched out and opened up my own cash clinic and built it to six figures in the second year yet I still felt like something was off when I looked in the mirror and maybe you can relate. So I scaled back and really dove into the questions of who am I really and what is it that I am meant to do? So together in this podcast, we are going to dive into all the tips, tools, and experiences for you to answer those same questions for yourself so you can live your best, most joyful and fulfilled life. Because if you're not doing that, then what the fuck are you really doing? So let's fucking go. Today on the show, we have Rachel Turner, who believes that we are all already worthy and good enough, but sometimes our experiences and the systems we live in make it really hard to remember that truth. As a licensed professional counselor, she offers individual couples and family therapy to support the treatment of relational issues, anxiety, depression, trauma, illness, grief, and loss. She works in a very collaborative manner and with a goal of uncovering your strengths and fostering a sense of hope. She is the founder of Turning Point Counseling in Phoenix, Arizona, and when she is not in the office, you can find her exploring the great outdoors as nature has always been a source of inspiration and tranquility for her. All right, let's dive on in. All right, so welcome back to another episode of Human on the Daily. Y'all, I am so excited. Um, I have my good friend Rachel Turner on the show today, who we initially met way back in the day doing CrossFit. Um, but now she, she's this like badass mental health counselor. Yeah. I'm, I'm pumped to have you on. I'm so, so pumped to be here. So Rachel, I've known you for a long time and the listeners just got to listen to like the professional bio, but I'd love for it to just kind of let you go off and tell me a little bit about you, what drew you to your field, how you got to work, who you are and where you're at today, all the things. 
Oh, yes. Yes, it's, it's, I don't get to talk about this a lot. So I'm, I'm glad that I get to share a little bit about like myself and like where how I ended up where I'm at. And so growing up, um, fun fact, I have a brother with special needs, and he is about 13 months older than me. And just watching so many people come in and out of his life, supporting him, helping him, helping him be able to speak, helping him be able to do daily things has just been something I've been able to witness from as little as I was to understand it. And even now being an adult, and I feel like just being surrounded by that for so many years in my whole childhood, like that helper, like, per, like that helping just modeled to me for so long has just been something that I knew I wanted to do. And I wanted to do the same thing for other people. So fast forward to now I um, am in my own private practice and um, I'm able to support individuals and provide that same care that I witnessed as a child. So that's just a little bit about how I got here in the short, like in a short version, but I love what I do. Like I have such a passion for being able to walk alongside people when they're going through healing. That's so beautiful. And, and I love that. Like, I love that you brought your brother into the story. Cause like, I mean, I've known that, but I, I feel like I didn't even know that for the longest time. I think it was just something random on social that I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's so real. It's really cool when we get to hear people's stories about like where they came from and what, what drove them to like the career and everything that they're really passionate about now. So I think that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, cause I, I think I know the answer to this, but like yeah. what, what's like your, so if you had to pick like the ideal, like, what do you love to work with the most? I know obviously you're going to work with a lot outside of even those realms, but what's kind of like your yeah. jam? My jam. Okay. So I love supporting women. And I mean, I love supporting men as well. But I just feel like being a female myself, being able to connect with other women um, who are just in the midst of transition, it can be transitioning from going to high school to college or going from going from college and going out into the real world and and also just transitioning from getting out of a relationship and like being single like I just feel like I connect really well and feel like I just do a really good job in supporting them in navigating the transition and I find that a lot of times these symptoms just start to surface when they're going through change and and you know symptoms of anxiety symptoms of depression and I feel that I help women find the root cause of that. And it's not just me going in and giving them tools. I'm helping them understand themselves on such a deeper level. And it's really awesome. So that's like my wheelhouse, I would say, and um, my jam, especially when it comes to just like what we all run into as females of like being comparison and, and our self-esteem and our confidence. Like I find that is also something I love to be able to support women into. Yeah, no. And I think it's, like I said, it, it's, I know that you obviously like, and can like love to treat things outside of that. But I feel like as providers, like me as a PT use, like there's always going to be something that lights us up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I feel that. Cause I feel like mine, it took me a while to realize and kind of admit that it was females Mm-hmm. That there's something, and I think it is that shared experience of like, I legitimately know what you're going through. 
yep. kind of thing. Um, so for someone listening, who's like, well, I'm kind of in the transition that I feel like maybe I have some symptoms, of anxiety and depression, but like, what does that actually mean? So what are some trends that you notice? Like if someone's kind of in that space, but maybe not either not aware or they're like, they're not sure what the symptoms are. So like, what would be the like, Oh shit, that's me. Like what, Mm -hmm. what would those be? So let's like, I feel like the ones that I'm seeing the most of is just like, I, they're starting to notice symptoms of anxiety and they don't understand where it's coming from. They don't know why they're feeling this way and they're facing things that maybe are uncomfortable for them. So like, especially when it comes to transition and doing new things, like stepping into things that are uncertain or uncomfortable, um, they start to realize like, oh, like this feels scary or this feels, I'm worried about this. And you just, you know, there's a lot of just getting into like their head about like, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? And, mm-hmm. and so being able to help them just like understand what it about they're about, what, a, what it is about what they're about to experience is causing all of this anxiety. And yeah. that's just like one, one thing, or like a big transition of like getting out of a relationship, you know, that can be really difficult. And I feel like that is more towards like the grief of that. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times when we go through something, we, we like other things will come up with that one incident. So that's one thing I find that I help people with is just going to the root because a lot more is coming up when you're facing things and you realize. And so being able to understand why whatever it is in the moment is so hard, like is super powerful. So I don't know if that answered your question, but no, I I think, I think that's something that's really important to bring up because anyone who's gone through, I mean, we've all gone through some kind of transition Mm -hmm. and it's just a little bit more apparent maybe when it's a bigger transition, whether it's the loss of a really long relationship, loss of a parent, like there's, Mm -hmm. there are going to be certain ones where it's quote unquote, like you can't compare any of them, mm-hmm. but it's something where maybe that tendency, like you said, where it'll bring up other past things. It's mm-hmm. a little bit more apparent. It's more re- like readily recognizable versus mm-hmm. something that's a little bit smaller where that's still happening, but it can kind of fly under the radar a little bit more. And yep. I think that's a beautiful transition. Cause for me personally, I felt that so much to the point where it didn't make sense to me when I was doing EMDR after my dad passed because it brought up a lot of like mother wounds from my childhood. And I was like, I wasn't in therapy for this, like what's happening. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about, cause I then went down the rabbit hole. Like we, you and I have both read the body keeps the score. So we know that that mm-hmm. kind of plays into this really beautifully. So kind of talk through that a little bit. Yeah. So just going into like getting into the deep, the deep things and yeah, the things that, take that because yeah. I just need, like a couple different things. <laughs> yeah. So you brought up EMDR and I, well, I'll start there and I, um, I am trained, I'm an EMDR trained therapist and I, um, find that this modality is so, so helpful for individuals who do have a specific like experience or trauma that they have gone through that, continues to show up in, in their daily experiences. So, um, just to give you like a little bit more context about EMDR, um, what it stands for is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And, um, 
just to allow you to break it down in simple terms, like yeah. ima- imagine you have a memory or experience that feels that feels stuck or overwhelming, like a scene from a movie that keeps replaying in your mind. So mm-hmm. what EMDR does is it helps you process and release the distressing emotions that are associated with that memory. And um, there's a few different phases that you do with your therapist, but it's so life-changing because once you do this, you know, this one target or this one memory, you can then talk about it with people without feeling like you're going to like break down and not that that's bad, but you know, just, there's so much, there's so much freedom and being in relief, being able to like have it doesn't conversations. Feel overwhelming. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, that is something that I find to be super helpful for individuals who have like gone through something very, like very specific and it can go back to childhood. I, I tend to do things a little bit differently and I help clients create what's called a trauma timeline. And so we can go as far back as they remember. And, and that's when I mean like pulling from the root, because if we can go as far back, you know, as we can and go along the journey, then once you start to realize that you're pulling from ones in the past, the ones Mm -hmm. that you start to like plan for, they're feeling less and less um, heightened because you've gone back and worked on things that are connected to that. So that's a little like different thing that I do with clients. Cause I feel like I said, I want them to feel true healing. And I just am a firm believer that things go so far back and yeah. just being able to help them and have them oh, feel that relief. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Cause I mean, I even, um, if anyone's listened to the bonus episode I did on like my childhood trauma and it's mm-hmm. really just talking about how like no one escapes childhood. Like you can have the quote unquote perfect scenario and there's mm-hmm. like, you're still like a kid's going to create stories and that will compile. So as an adult, things happen. And then it is like, there's, we're almost like, you can almost always like, it's not like, Oh, some trauma happens and there's nothing you can tie it to in your history. Like, I think Mm -hmm. there's always going to be something that it's going to be pulling from, unless you've done this kind of work, like you're talking about. And I love the idea of a trauma timeline. I've like, Mm -hmm. I've actually never heard that. Um, The closest I've gotten to that is doing like EMDR, IFS, like some of these other Mm -hmm. therapies and then things will come up. So you end up talking about going back, but they're not like a systemized way of doing it. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love being able to take people back if they want, if that's what they want. Um, And then even just connecting with the body, you know, like we are so like, we're a whole, like as a whole, like treating clients holistically and knowing that trauma impacts the body just as much as it does um, like our mental and emotional, like our physical, there's such a physical Mm -hmm. component of that as well. And so, yes, you mentioned the body keeps the score. It's a great book. It's an amazing book. If you want to learn more about that connection, but in EMGR, we also have a phase at the end that helps remove any trauma left over that's in the body from the experience. So um, super cool to see that, that transformation and, people finding relief because a lot of times it is held in the body yeah yeah there's I mean I I've definitely felt that when I did EMDR after my dad but I actually felt it more prominently the plane the almost plane mm-hmm. crash like it's so weird to think of it as like a trauma because everyone's like well it wasn't a plane crash I'm like, yeah but when like for 40 minutes I legitimately thought it there was going to be a crash and yeah. I went and did EMDR for a session afterwards 
and was like, okay, like I feel okay. However, I can also still feel my, like, I feel like my nervous system just isn't like letting go. And so even though I wasn't consciously aware of anything, I was like, I, there's something like, let's just go and see what's happening. And I think I'm glad I have the body awareness. Cause I think five years ago, if this had happened, I wouldn't have even noticed that there was something guarding inside of me. When mm-hmm. I tell you, I was like shimmying, like almost during the EMDR, it was the weirdest thing. And my therapist, mm-hmm. cause like, I love you to death, but we've talked about it. Like having one of my really good friends is my therapist. So oh, yeah, <laughs> I, it's like, I want to be like, your friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's a reason I'm not my fiance's physical therapist. Like yep. ish, that yep. just, if anyone's tried to treat a family member, like you, you know what we're talking about. So, yep. but it was like this weird, like shoulders back and forth thing that I was like, cool. Like we've gone through this enough. Like I know to just let it happen. But if I didn't, mm-hmm. if I hadn't read like body keeps the score and what's the other one waking the tiger, the Peter Levine mm-hmm. book um, like to like, no, like, okay, cool. If I'm feeling my body move, like allow it because there, I feel like as a society, it's like, nope, don't let anything show. Like mm-hmm. just stay nice and still don't freak anyone else out. And so I think unintentionally, a lot of humans kind of keep things in the body unintentionally. Like, are we the only mammals that don't have like the shake response after a traumatic event? I feel Yeah. I think I, I mean, I know that shaking is such a physical response with anxiety. So I know that, but I'm not sure. I think you're right about just that after a traumatic event, like actually shaking. Yeah. Yeah. And allowing it to, and it's crazy because even, even as someone who knows that when I mm-hmm. felt myself have like, cause during the flight, I was quote unquote fine. It's more like I went into protector mode. Like I was taking mm-hmm. care of everyone else around me. I was the provider, the helper. Yeah. And then it was afterwards, once my body was like, okay, everything's fine. Like everyone's okay. Then I felt shock symptoms. But even then it was like, I felt myself guard and not allow myself to shake because I didn't want to freak out anyone else around me at the time mm-hmm. still. So anyways, yeah, yeah it, it's nuts to like, had no idea that all of that was still in my body, mm-hmm. even with as much body awareness as I do know. So yeah. how for someone, because I, I think it's, is really important. So I'm curious if there's anything else that you would love to include as far as like how body awareness and movement mm-hmm. plays a part into this, whether EMDR or just mental health in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you mean like movement, like, like exercise movement or just more so physical experience after trauma? You know, because we already kind of talked about the latter. So let's go with movement. Like, I know that it's so beneficial. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember I've seen like the Venn diagram where it's like, you can see physical, mental, spiritual, emotional health is all so intertwined. And I think that that's something that's getting more known and more talked about, but still not quite as known as it should be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a firm believer of movement and the benefits of moving our bodies, you know, no matter if it's like walking, um, like yoga, or just anything that is connecting you with your body, I find that to be so helpful um, as a way to support yourself, not only when you're going through like, like therapy, but just like a constant like ritual that, you know, is always going to be there that to support you when you're going through anything in life. Um, Cause I find that there's just so much that we can attach movement to. And, you know, for me, I know we're, we're probably going to talk about this, but for me, I just love to be out on the trails. I love to trail run hike and just explore new places. And I find that 
I am so connected to my body in those moments where I, I can like, I activate my five senses and I just try to be so, so present, like when I'm out there and I can tell when my body's like how my body's working for me. And I just like have so much gratitude for the body that I have to be able to do those things and just how much it transitions into my mental health and um, all of those things. So yeah, it's, I would a firm believer of movement. I know you (laughs) are too. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely live by like the movement is medicine. They said we met during doing CrossFit and then Mm -hmm. you were actually my first, no, I guess my first trail run ever technically was a solo six miler, but then like the same week you asked me on a trail run and I did another Mm -hmm. six miles and then signed up for a race. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I want to dive into that a little bit more, just the idea Mm -hmm. of, cause I know, I know it's kind of the combination. So with trail running, hiking, exploring new places, like it's the movement and it's getting outside into nature but let's talk about like, do you run with music? Do you try to not listen to anything so that your mind can just free flow? And like, what are the benefits of maybe not always putting stimulus into us? Oh yeah. So I will say like, if I know I'm going out for a pretty hard run got to get a workout in, like music is so helpful to me just to, it helps motivate me, but there are moments when I just want to go out and there's no agenda. There's no, like, I don't have anyone telling me how many miles I have to run or I'm just going out and I don't wear my headphones. And I try to go to places that I can connect with like nature and allow myself to be super present where I can hear what's around me. I can really take the time to see the things that are around me and, and just feel where it is that I need to feel. I, cannot tell you how many times I've cried on a summit <laughs> just yes. releasing whatever <laughs> releasing yep. whatever I need to release from um whatever I'm experiencing like I just find being on my own and doing that and being able to have that experience is so so healing so yeah there is so much to be said about just going out and allowing yourself to feel um mm-hmm. while you're out in nature it's just like this comforting um I don't know, mother nature. She's great. She's just along with the ride with us. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and I think that yeah. goes into, like you said, if, if you are going out and there's an agenda and you're just trying to like get a certain pace, absolutely use yeah. music as a motivator. Mm-hmm. Um, but if your intuition is saying like, Hey, like, let's just flow or let's like, that's what I find is because if I, if you were to just throw music in, but something needed to be released, like you might kind of miss that opportunity. I mean, it'll come back, but yeah. it is rather than kind of like shutting it out. Mm-hmm. I think of it almost like, like dissociating. Like, I mean, we all talk about mm-hmm. how various coping mechanisms, and I think there are ones that get a, a worse rap. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think there is something to be said for like, if you you can use like music and working Mm -hmm. out like, yes, there are worse ones. However, those can turn into a coping mechanism where you're just pushing, like sweeping things under the rug. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I can definitely, I agree with that. Okay. So I would love to talk about, I kind of mentioned it earlier, um, Mm -hmm. IFS because Mm -hmm. it's something that I've been doing recently and I have found to be so incredibly helpful. And the people that I've run into that have tried it 
also found it incredibly helpful, but I feel like it's not super well known. Mm -hmm. So I first just want to dive into like, what the hell is it? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I'm going to go over it and just like explain it in the most like simple way that I can. But so, um, all of us have parts of us and each of our parts have come in to fruition either from our childhood, either from a past experience. And, um, what IFS does is it, it helps individuals get to know like the parts of them and, um, there are a few different parts that we start to like connect, like connect with in this process. So um, just to give you some terminology that um, is used in IFS. So there are our protective parts and then there are our firefighter parts and then there are the exile parts and then there's the self. And so I'll kind of go over each of those briefly. Um, So uh, the exiles are like, the young and vulnerable aspects that carry like past hurt, trauma, or unmet needs. Um, And then the managers and the firefighters are the ones that aim to protect the person from pain, often through like controlling behaviors or like distracting us from things. And like the key to IFS is like to create like as a therapist to create like such a safe and non-judgmental space for each of these parts to show up in session and be able to express themselves and feel like they're being understood. And then the self is what we start to bring in to um, the internal family system. And, and the self is just this, like, I like to, well, the way that I find it most helpful in my own practice is like my higher self, like she shows mm-hmm. up and she, um, is now like I'm allowing her to come in and just be this supportive energy to these parts of me that um, haven't had someone there with them. So um, it's a lot of inner child work that I feel like I can compare it to. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I allow, allow clients to really just like get into their body too. And like, again, like the body is very much um, a part of this too, where we can tell when a part is present, like physically or a thought or a trigger, like I know what mine are and I can just immediately be like, Oh, she's here. Like, Oh gosh. Okay. Like, you know, I just know, I know that because I've done that work. Um, But it is such a physical experience as much as it is like emotional or going back to trauma too. So I hope that that explains it, but yeah, yeah. No, I think that's yeah. a really great way to explain it. And I think, I mean, my experience with it, cause it's still relatively new to me. Um, mm-hmm. it is, it's very much inner child work. Like I almost, I can almost visualize, like I have these protectors and I can visualize like, okay, that's 13 year old Megan. Mm-hmm. And then like a controller part, I'm like, cool. That's seven year old Megan. Like I yeah. can almost see I didn't even know that I was doing that, but it was just more of like, okay, visualize your protector. And then it was like, oh, okay. I can tell you exactly when in my life that was and what was going on and what created her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been nifty. So, and I, I personally really only like done deep dives into the protectors and the controller, which I guess, is that another name for manager? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. I just want to make sure I understood that. So I, I mean, I very much, I can almost guarantee I have, we all do have the exile and the firefighter, but I haven't really yeah. dove into those. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious. So this is going to show, it's going to show not such a great side of me, but whatever. Um, <laughs> asking which one is responsible for this. Okay. But So have you ever been on like a call with customer service and like you're, 
uber polite. You're good. You're good. You're good. And then at a certain point of like getting the runaround, like it's yeah. almost like you flip into this irrational stage. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. what it, because, but I've like, I've noticed that it's much now it really has to be like a complete runaround. But as a kid, I remember as soon as I like got in trouble for something, I would flip and like all of a sudden be irrational. So even though like that's like, so much better, I'm curious, like, is that an exile part most likely? Yeah. I mean, so it really is like, it takes over and like, I can hear myself, but it's almost like it's on this delay and I can't stop it. Yeah. And so you'll start to respond like this, like a flip of a switch goes off and you start to feel like, like different in the conversation. And I guess like, I mean, if you feel comfortable sharing, (laughs) what is it that happens in that moment? Like, what is it that you're feeling and what do you say? I'm just, cause it'll help me understand more. Yeah. It really doesn't happen that often anymore, but I can like look back and see, like it did happen very frequently prior to me learning any kind of emotional regulation. Um, and so it is, it's like this flip gets switched. I I know in hindsight that it's, I don't feel seen or heard or understood like those, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm feeling. And when I say irrational, it really is like, I can't think of exact words that I've used before, but it, it is kind of almost like a, it's this alter ego that comes up. It's like a, how dare you do, you know, who I am kind of thing. And I'm like, Really, really, Megan, like, come on. <laughs> we all have. And I we know all I'm have not because I finally opened up to a friend about this and she's like, oh my God, me too. <laughs> well, yeah, I feel like in that moment, it's almost like you are trying to handle the situation in like the best way you can. And then all of a sudden your protective part shows up because she knows you're not feeling heard. Gotcha. So, so I would say that moment when you start to act like that irrational, like, you know, you, maybe you'll say something like that throws the whole conversation off, but like, I feel like that is more of a protector because, because you're like, this part will step in because she doesn't want the exile to feel Mm -hmm. like not heard or understood, but then to work with that. Yeah. To work with that protector, it's like, okay, is this way of protecting the part of me that doesn't feel understood is this is this what's best for her like is this way of protecting her helpful and maybe as a kid like the only way that you could be heard was by talking louder than your mom or dad or by you know that makes sense yeah pretty much I had to be almost irrational to get attention because otherwise it was kind of like whatever Mm -hmm. yeah so then you learn that that's your only way to get to be heard so just how that then shows up in your adulthood. And so the exile would probably be the one that doesn't feel heard or seen or understood. Like she's, she's not. Gotcha. She's it's being... like the exile and the protector comes in to like protect mm-hmm. the ex. Got it. That makes yep. total sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, while we're on the, like, what's wrong with, no, not, not what's wrong with Megan. That's a terrible way to say that, <laughs> but I'm also curious. So is there, have you worked with anyone who, has a part that keeps them from forming or re- like remembering things because I feel like this has kind of been a theme. I've, I've talked with multiple friends about this and I don't know why it keeps coming up in conversations, but like a lack of childhood memories. And when you try to research that or look into things about it, it's like, Oh, you must have some terrible event. And then you protect it from then on. I'm like, okay, maybe, but that doesn't seem to explain all of that mm-hmm. necessarily. Like, I don't think that, like, I don't know if that's the only option because mm-hmm. more recently 
the pattern that I've noticed is like, I'm wondering if there's a part that could kind of block it mm-hmm. as, as like just trying to protect you. Um, oh, yeah. just talking with like, I don't have any childhood memories, but neither does my brother, neither does my dad, neither, or did my dad, neither does my mm-hmm. mom. Like I tried to ask my mom the other day, like, what's a fun memory from my childhood? And she's like, sweetie, I, I don't, I got nothing for you. Mm-hmm. And it was this idea of like, she's like, it, it's not that there aren't happy ones. It's just that like, I can piece things together, but almost no one in my family has memories. Yeah. And at that point it's like, okay, I feel like there's, whether it's generational trauma of some kind, but I feel like there's a part that's doing it because it's not like there's a generational trauma of like childhood abuse in the sense Mm -hmm. that it's just our body. Like, does that make sense? Oh yeah. It makes so much sense. Like it doesn't, I don't think there has to be this like very like big traumatic experience that we have Mm -hmm. to go through as children to not remember. Like it doesn't, like, you know what I'm saying? I do know some people that have had that, but then I also like, there's enough of my friends that again, it's just randomly come up in conversation talking about Mm -hmm. childhood memories and multiple of us being like, I mean, I've got some, but Mm -hmm. as a whole, like, I don't, can't remember my sixth birthday. Hell, I can't even remember my 18th birthday. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. And I find that this comes up a lot in sessions with clients too when you know we're diving into childhood and we're diving into like going back they're like well I just don't really remember my childhood and I find that there may be some other questions that can allow that like like your brain to allow yourself to like go back and Mm -hmm. sometimes it's it's so crazy like I'll have someone come in and say they have no memory and then all of a sudden all these memories just start to come up and flow and like they're like wow like I didn't think I remembered that so I feel like it's you know, I don't want to say it's gone forever, but maybe yeah. there's like certain ways to explore it and dive deeper into it to try and remember like things that you want to remember or that you are wanting to focus on. Um, but I do find this to be very common, like amongst so many people. Um, yeah. And who, and who knows, like if there was a lot of your childhood that you felt like you were in that survival mode too, like your nervous system working double time to just keep you you know, like yeah. Safe. And that's where I kind of got the like, okay, I do think like maybe it was a protector part that started pretty mm-hmm. young. Yeah. And then just because sympathetic nervous system was like the main driver, like fight or flight, fawn mm-hmm. freeze. Yeah. Um, that's the other actually. So yeah, I definitely wanted to bring that up because I do, I feel like when you start to like, we all know like Google is kind of a nightmare whenever you're talking about like <laughs> mental health, physical health, like mm-hmm. as a PT, having people go down wormholes on Google, I'm like, please, please just add, just shoot me an email. Please don't go down on Google. Oh. And I, yep. I feel it's the same way with mental health, but inevitably then I still Google, like, why don't I have childhood memories? And literally it <laughs> makes it sound like this terrible, unnatural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, I do like, so I wanted to bring some light to the fact that it is more normal. It's more common and it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with you. Yes. And on top of that, you don't have to have memories to be able to process like, like a lot of times people will say like, well, I know that this happened to me, but I have no memory of it. And mm-hmm. you can still do EMDR, even though you don't have yes. memories. Yeah. So just so if, if that's like keeping, yeah. And things like EMDR, work, like the visuals that you get and where it goes are nuts. Like, I don't even know if I could put words to like how your brain does things during that. Yeah. It's, it's all the brain. They were just letting the brain do its thing. It's so cool. Yeah. But yeah, you don't have to have specific memories to do that work, which is awesome. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. That did bring up though, because I think most people know fight and flight. Can you just Mm -hmm. talk really quickly? Just so, because I think especially fawn um, Mm -hmm. or even like a quick freeze people, unless you've really gone into this work or read up on it, that's Mm -hmm. a little bit harder to know. And I think more people do it than they realize. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, how I like to explain it is, um, we all have what's called like a window of tolerance. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, depending on life experiences, like sometimes trauma will, a lot of the times actually trauma will shorten our window. And so what that means is we're more likely to jump out of our window and go into what's called like hyper arousal, which is that more fight flight experience. And then, Mm -hmm then we can also go into what's called hypo arousal, which is more of that fawn freeze experience. And, you know, how I like to describe it is like, you almost like if you're going into that freeze or that fawn, um, it's almost like all of a sudden, like you, you actually feel frozen and you feel like maybe there's some numbness. Um, there's like the, maybe you can't articulate or express anything. Um, or you feel like, even just like even someone who's like in conversation with you and notices that you're something just happened. Um, you can just feel like you almost just like left, like left the room, like kind of like this, Mm -hmm. like, like, I don't want to, I mean, I'm using this because it's part of the, um, description, but like this dead inside feeling, like, it's just like, there is nothing there right now. I am completely frozen. I can't access anything. Um, or I don't Mm -hmm. feel anything. So, I don't know if that helps explain. Yeah. Those. What about fawn? Cause that was freeze. Yeah. yeah so that was freeze and fawn, you know, I feel that that one shows up a lot in, in the way that I like to like explain it is more of like, you're wanting to um, like protect yourself. But sometimes that means like having to, put your needs to the side in order to appease whatever, like the situation, like you're almost like, like going into this, like surrender, like fond mm-hmm. state where you, your needs no longer matter. And you're having to like, either put them to the side or show up for, you know, that other kind of like involuntary people pleasing. Yes. That's how you. I like to think of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But your needs are no longer like, like you just forget about yourself and like, you just, yeah what your focus on the other person. So that's, yeah, I like that explanation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that was ha- mm-hmm. kind of how it was explained to me in the class where, um, I got the trauma and somatic informed practitioner and yeah. actually they didn't even explain it that way, but they had a video that was like explaining everything. I was like, this is legitimately, it's like some of the people pleasing, but they just can't control it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. And that would be a protective part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Full yep. circle. Full circle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So speaking of all parts of humanness, as we wrap up, um, what is, so like, obviously we know you're a trail runner. We know you are a counselor, you're a business owner. What is one fun fact that might surprise people about you? So <laughs> I have a couple, but I feel like I'm going to go with one. So from early as I can remember until even as an adult today, I, I love to sing. So it's something that I've been doing for a long time. And that is also like 
therapy for me as just Dude, how like, did I not know this? <laughs> how and you how have you, Bryn and I not had like a jam session? I know. I know. I feel like I almost made her sing too. on the podcast yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have. <laughs> yeah. I won't I won't make you do it. Don't worry. I'm not gonna make you sing on the spot. <laughs> Yeah. And I feel like when I was younger, it was more of like choirs and singing at church. And like, you know, I was really, I had singing lessons. I was like all about it. And I even came out to ASU at first to like get into the voice performance school when I was, yeah, I wanted to sing (laughs) really bad, but you know, there was different plans for me and now I'm here, but I still, I still sing in the shower and in the car. And I just, that's just like a fun fact about about me can the yeah. three of us go sing little mermaid <laughs> yeah like once it's like so we're all the only three in the theater and just belt along with it like that oh my gosh that would be so <laughs> my fun. audience just got a peek into me and my personality that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah we love that though we love that <laughs> okay all right let's wrap up final question Okay. So the entire podcast is about breaking out of expectations of others and the ones that we place on ourselves and becoming more our true authentic self. So what, mm-hmm. if you had to think of like one experience that really has allowed you to do that, breaking out of the expectations and really become more you, what would that experience be? Yeah. I love this question. The one thing that comes to mind is just like, and you can probably speak on this too, is being a provider in this field and helping people. We, I feel like we put a lot of expectations on ourselves to, well, I know I do on myself to, you know, do everything that I'm telling my clients to do and, you know, wear this therapist hat and just feel like I'm, you know, doing all the things right. But I have come to realize that I'm human first always. And I think doing that, my own work and, and realizing that, you know, I am human and I am going to miss a self-care routine, or I'm going to have something happen in my life. That's going to cause me to have my parts surface. And just knowing that when I walk in the room with clients, I don't have to be anyone but myself and I Mm -hmm. could just be a human. And I find that being able to experience that with them and not feel like I have to like have this, like, like put high expectations on myself also allows me to just even deeper connect with the people I get to connect with. And so that's been a journey though. Cause you know, I think I have a people pleaser part for sure. Mm-hmm. Who I have I see what most providers do <laughs> yeah, much work with. Um, and so it's, you know, I think that's just been the most, um, helpful journey that I've got, got I've been on in this just being a therapist but remembering that I'm I'm human yeah first yeah. off I feel like we we should make some t-shirts that say human first I think yes. that is 100 yes. needs to happen um but two <laughs> yeah. I want to give you major props because I do think I legitimately think a lot of providers like people get into the profession of helping others mm-hmm. tend to have a harder time helping themselves first Mm-hmm. and taking care of themselves. And I, I'm sure you can say the same thing if I've seen far too many providers that don't recognize that they do that to themselves mm-hmm. and won't help themselves first. So major, major props for even making that realization and Thank doing you. the work yourself. Thank so you. I just want to acknowledge you. Mm, Thank you. That means yeah. a lot. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Rach, this has been so much fun and I know it's going to be so, so, so insightful for people. And 
last thing here, I will drop your links in the show notes, but where can people find you? Where's the best way for them to connect if they want to talk more? Yeah. So I, um, I have an Instagram handle and I try to just provide resources and fun things on there. So if you just want to learn more about certain things that, that are connected to therapy, you can follow me. Um, it's turning point counseling AZ. And then my website, uh, my practice is called turning point counseling. And my website is just turning point counseling.net. And I am located in Phoenix and, um, also I do in-person and virtual sessions. So yeah, I feel like those are the most, like that's where, where you can find me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Perfect. I yeah. will make sure those links are in the show notes. Rachel, thank you Perfect. so much and mm-hmm. catch you next time. Yes. Thank you. High five for taking some time out of your day for yourself to listen to this episode. It is my hope that it makes you feel more seen and heard and understood because we are all human and being human is messy and imperfect and beautiful and you are beautiful. So if this resonated, it would mean the world to me if you shared it on social along with your biggest takeaway and then tag me at move on the daily and hum- at human dot on the daily. Thank you so much and see you next time.